you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times. Because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Well, hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big circus tent in the sky, the big knowledge brain in the sky. That's what the Chris Voss Show is. It's a giant, almost uh, artificial intelligence brain because I have none. I, you know, I skipped uh, going to elementary school. We've all been there, right? Um, but it's a giant brain in the podcast sky. And what you do every day is my uh, wonderful loyal audience of 14 years is you come on and you tap into that brain and it downloads into your brain and your brain starts to expand bigger and bigger. And everybody knows that when you have a lot of knowledge, you're sexier. So there you go. That's how I sell that. I, I, you know, you got to sell the sex. Uh, but, you know, you want to be smarter because then when you talk to people, they go, that guy is smart. You know, not like what George Carlin used to do. Like that guy's full of shit. If you remember him, anyway, I can't do George Carlin's <laughs> impression, but he was an intelligent man. Anyway, guys, uh, refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives because the beautiful part about it is, if you're intelligent and they're intelligent, then everybody's smarter and the world works better. Otherwise, you walk around going, "That person's full of shit." as George Collin would say. Anyway, guys, uh, we just launched a new AI, automated intelligence, or not automated intelligence, <laughs> artificial intelligence. Clearly, I have none. Um, and uh, the podcast is found at AIChrisVoss.com. It's called AI Podcast with Chris Voss. We just launched that. It's one of the verticals. You'll find uh, some of the copies of some of the discussions we have here on the on the, on the the big show uh, over there. And then there's also Chris Voss Leadership, which is part of the Chris Voss Leadership Institute that's also launching. Go find that podcast. Go to goodreads.com for just Chris Voss, Utah, uh, YouTube.com for just Chris Voss, LinkedIn forward slash Chris Voss. But an amazing mind on the show. I was excited to have him on because uh, he's written many, many books and very insightful as well. So you're going to learn a lot today, especially from maybe a business aspect uh he is the author of the newest book it's just coming out may 16th 2023 if you're listening to this now you can uh, get the pre-order on it adam alter is on the show with us today uh his new book is called anatomy of a breakthrough how to get unstuck when it matters most he's going to be on the show talking to us about it he is a professor of marketing and psychology and the stansky teaching excellence faculty fellow at New York University Stern School of Business with an affiliate professorship in social psychology at NYU's psychology department. In 2020, he was voted professor of the year. Congratulations by the faculty and student body at NYU's Stern Business School and was among the poets and is that quants? Quants. Poets and quants. I learned a new word today. Uh, of 40 of the best professors under 40 in 2017. Are you still under 40? I'm not. Uh, so you, you, now you're going to have to I be... I scraped under the wire in 2017. Yeah. You're going to have to be the best professor between 40 and 50 now. you got to work on that. Uh, Alter is the uh, New York best, uh, New York Times bestselling author of two books, Drunk Tank Pink, which I think was about me, uh, in Irresistible. Welcome to the show, Adam. How are you? Um, well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Chris. There you go. And Drunk Tank Pink was not about me, folks. That's a joke. You know that. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Adam, give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Adam Alter Author. 
That's it. Easy. There you go. Yep. There you go. Very easy. And is it .com? It's .com. There we go. Want to make sure we get that. Some people have like a .me and .show. We have a .show too. So there's that. Yeah. Uh, so you, how many books have you written? There's quite a few that I found for you. Three. There you go. And uh, I, I, your your earlier book, the one about uh, behavior and technology and you know mm -hmm. all the stuff we go through, really interesting. I'd love to have you come back to feature that book if you ever want to. But in the meantime, uh, what motivated you want to write this book? Uh, a few things. One was the pandemic. So this book is about getting unstuck and finding breakthroughs. And I think collectively we were all stuck for a couple of years there. <laughs> we had no choice. Stuck. Yeah, pretty much. So stuck at home. Yeah, exactly. Stuck at home, physically stuck, but also in a lot of ways, we I think we're intellectually stuck. We had to pivot and find new directions. A lot of us with businesses and consulting gigs and, uh, you know, no matter what you were doing, something changed in 2020. And so that was an interesting time. It's also just something I've been researching for the last 20 years or so, this idea of how do you get unstuck on the path to breakthroughs? It's just a, a pet area of interest of mine. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talk about midlife crisis, wrestling writer's block. I've had that uh, trapped in uh, thankless uh, jobs. Uh, I've had plenty of those uh, relationships as well, fraying, uh, resulting emotions and, and some of the anxiety, fear and anger that we usually deal with this. Um, and so you talk about is, is that the term I guess you mean when you get unstuck? Yeah. So, you know, getting stuck, I think of it as um Think, I'm really interested in kinds of stuckness that are in your control, so where you can do something to get unstuck. In the pandemic, we couldn't travel because that was just the way the world was, and that's not interesting to me. What's interesting is all the kinds of stuckness that are within our control, and particularly the ones that are, you know, we're entrenched for months or years or even decades where we really feel trapped for a long period of time, and it turns out that's pretty common. So that's what I'm focusing on. Uh, one time I put up one of those fly paper scroll rolls that, uh, you know, the flies stick to, and I got stuck to that. Do you cover any of that in the book? No, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. So you talk about in the book, uh, something called the friction audit. Tell mm -hmm. us about that is, uh, and how the, how you break that down. Yeah. The friction audit is a process of finding friction points, wherever something is hard or difficult or, you know, difficult to make your way through and you sand down the friction so that it becomes smoother. And the original place I started using this was in, in a lot of my business consulting work. For example, shopping malls that I was working with, they found that a lot of people would go to the shopping mall and they'd abandon their carts, their physical carts with stuff inside the carts without paying. Mm. They figured out that a lot of these people were shopping with their kids, their kids freaked out and they had to go home. Oh, and wow. so we talked about that as a friction point. Like, what is it about the shopping experience, obviously kids, when they hit their limit, they hit their limit. Oh. As a parent, you don't want a screaming kid. So what we, we started to do was to put small playgrounds inside these shopping malls. Oh. It's not a very expensive thing to have to build, yeah. but it ended up saving, you know, hundreds of thousands or more dollars in big malls every year because people didn't abandon their shopping carts. So wow. that's an example of a friction audit where the return on investment for a very small, modest change uh, is is high. So that's, and you can do that in your everyday life as well. It yeah. doesn't just have to be about. Did you guys ever consider just uh, banning kids? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> i'm kidding people we do the jokes um no but uh, like mcdonald's does that and it's very effective uh you know the mcdonald's thing it gets people to stay there probably gets more buy time or more you know the more time you're, it's kind of like a casino and when you're in a mall the more time mm. you're there <laughs> the more money you're going to spend right exactly that's the yeah. idea yeah and uh there's four uh from what i understand there's four axioms uh to this audit uh give us a in some in-depth to that 
Yeah, so each of them starts with an H. There are three chapters in each section, so it's a 12-chapter book. And I, I start with help, which is a section on demystifying what it is to be stuck. I talk about this survey I've been running for a few years now on thousands of people around the world. They are all in some way stuck. They feel very lonely in their stuckness. It's a bit of an overwhelming experience, but it turns out to be universal. I think most people are in at least one area of their lives. So that's help, which is trying to explain why and when we get stuck. Uh, the, the next section, section is on dealing with the emotional consequences. That's heart. Mm. Um, so how do you deal with that feeling, which is aversive, which is where you want to be somewhere that you're not right now. Uh, mm. And if you can't really overcome that, it's very hard to be strategic and to behave in ways that make sense for getting unstuck. So that's the first thing is figuring out the, uh, the emotional response. And then the next thing is to figure out some strategies, some cognitive strategies, ways of thinking about the problem. That's head. Um, the section that sort of deals with the brain and how we can think our way through these processes. And then the last section, which I think is probably the most important, is habit, which is about mm -hmm. the actions we can take to get unstuck. And so that's the uh, the framework for the book and for the friction audit process that the book describes. And and this sounds like a great step process because we all go through times of frustration, anxiety, fear, anger. Uh, I mean, that's just me on any Friday. Um but, uh, you know, you've, you've basically given a blueprint on how to process this. You know, I, I study a lot of stoicism, Marcus Aurelius and stuff. And part of that is, you know, managing, you know, how you feel mm -hmm. it from a logical reason standpoint. And by doing that, it empowers you because uh, it's how, how you manage that perception and then what you do with it is really important. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a lot of overlap in that section on on heart, on emotions, mm. with uh, with some of the ideas in Stoicism and becoming steeled against whatever hardship might come your way, and learning how to manage yourself out of that that initial response, which is always negative, right? I mean, it doesn't feel good to be stuck for things mm. to shift under you. Um, a lot of those those uh, changes are unwanted, and so you've got mm. to figure out a way to deal with them. Yeah, they they say. Do you agree with the thing? You know, they, they say sometimes that it, it's not. It's not really what happens to us. It's our perception of what happens to us. Like I remember uh, Tony Robbins used to have this thing uh, years, you know, decades ago that I learned from. And he's like, you know, two people can go to the same party. And one person can see like a really fun party and everybody's having a good time and they can leave going, that party was awesome. And another person just go see all the dark parts about the party, people who weren't talking to each other, uh, people weren't having fun. And, they, and what they focus on is kind of what they get. Uh, is that maybe sometimes... The, the with your uh four step inner journey algorithm to to change that perception so that you you can you can at least get through what you're stuck on yeah absolutely there's a, a lot of research on the difference between challenge and threat for example so we experience a lot of change as threatening and that makes us less capable of dealing with it and there's a you know a small mindset shift in just the the way you describe changes that threat into a challenge and challenges are kind of engaging we can overcome them we can battle them we recognize that failure is not the end of the world uh, you can fail better each time and get closer to the mark in most domains of life so yeah that's that's a big part of it and also just generally slowing things down recognizing mm -hmm. that just because you're stuck you're going to want to flail because that's our natural response but actually flailing is the worst thing you can do and the best thing you can do is to to do what a lot of titans of business and musicians and athletes do which is slow everything down you know mm -hmm. like the, the best example of this that i can think of right now is Lionel messi the soccer player who i think is is the best player alive today and and possibly the greatest player of all time uh, he spends the first five minutes of every game he plays basically walking around just looking at who is doing what figuring out the lay of the land 
and that makes him more effective for the remainder of the game. And, and that's partly to deal with his own anxiety as the game begins, but also to develop strategic edges mm-hmm. above everyone else. And it's been very successful for him. So he sacrifices the, ne- the couple of minutes at the beginning for the remaining 88-plus minutes of the game. And it's, it's a great strategy, I think, in other domains as well. I love the slowing everything down concept. And, mm. and, and then of course, I, I think what you're doing too, well, let me finish this thought. Um, you know, the slowing everything down is really important and, and getting familiar and relaxing. We use that uh, term a lot in our gaming. I have a, a crew I run with that does uh, Modern Warfare 2 gaming. And, you know, there's a lot of strategy to it. And, right. and that's what I love about it. It's kind of like a, it's active, it's real life chess, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and there are times where, you know, we're in the heat of a battle and, and this battle can be transposed to just about anything you're doing in life, whether you're in the heat of battle of life or job or work or home or whatever, uh, fighting with your kid over, uh, I don't know, they won't go to bed. Uh, if you're in the heat of the battle, you know, that's slowing everything down and realizing that the emotions are really overcoming the logic and reason part of you and you're not making good decisions. You're making uh, irrational, emotional decisions realizing that and we'll, we'll pull back and be, Hey, well, well, we need to slow down. Let's all stop for a second. Take a breath. We're not, nothing's going to happen. If we just, if we just take a, take a step back and let's slow down, let's process. And that seems to be a big, uh, thing. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, walking through the court and all that sort of stuff to see how it goes. Sometimes when I have a, a guest on, <clears throat> I'll watch videos, uh, on the side computer, I'll have them playing, where I'm in, where I'm listening to a guest on maybe another podcast or a news interview, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll do that beforehand so that when the guest comes on, I kind of already feel like I've been talking to them for a while, mm-hmm. and there's kind of a congruency that's already that just kicks in that I just feel really comfortable, uh, and and that really works for me, and it's in, in probably in a way it slows it down, but I think what's really great about your book is you're helping people determine, hey, whoa, I'm having some feelings here. Uh, I need to address what this is and be able to uh, take it from a logical aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that idea of actually watching someone ahead of time. And a lot of what getting unstuck is, is, is sort of getting the ball rolling. And I think mm-hmm. watching a guest before does that, it kind of gets you halfway into the mindset of actually running the interview. And so anything you can do to smooth the the gap between not doing anything and doing something mm-hmm. is a, a tremendous way to, to remain unstuck and to make progress in general. Yeah. And, and, just the recognizing, what is it? Recognizing the problem is half the pro, half the solving of the problem. Right. And, you know, being able to go, Hey, I'm, I'm stuck. I, I got writer's block or, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes this, sometimes being stuck is a longer time. Like, like you mentioned, uh, trapped in a thankless job. How do you, you know, give, give us some tips on maybe how you, uh, how you navigate that? Cause it's, it's not something you immediately fix. It's not something you immediately fix. Uh, a lot of what it is is uh, taking small steps and figuring out what the alternatives are. Mm. So I talk about the experimental mindset in this book, and that's basically becoming a kid. If you spend time with kids, little kids, they'll tell you that they don't understand something 10 times before they get to the point where they're satisfied. And adults mm. don't do that. There's a point between childhood and adulthood where we start being we stop being curious and stop asking questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and kids will question everything. You know, nothing makes sense to them until they're fully satisfied. And the same is true about something like figuring out what the best career is. I think adults just stop too soon. We don't experiment enough. Um, when I was in, in college, I, I wasn't sure what to study. And so I actually, I left one degree behind and was trying to figure out what to do afterwards. 
I spent six months going to introductory lectures on every single topic I could find, experimenting, basically saying, is this the thing for me? Is this the thing for me? And eventually landed on what I'm doing today. But it took, you know, 50 failures before I figured out what I wanted to do. <laughs> and so the first step is figuring out what the landscape looks like and then looking at every option and figuring out which one's best. Yeah. And what's interesting is, I, you know, I wouldn't even call them failures, uh, yeah. in my opinion, because uh, changing the perception of that is, is uh, you know, those there, there were probably things you learned on those experiences that you will probably use in the future. I remember Steve Jobs had that great famous, uh, it's been played a million times everywhere, the famous uh, uh, commencement address at a, mm -hmm. at a college where he talks about how he was failing in college and really didn't care. He kind of gave up, but he loved his topography uh, class and he was just fascinated by it. And it turns out that was one of the key aspects of a tool that he never thought he would use in business to making the Mac great. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, you know, I'm, Life is a journey where you collect stories, you collect lessons, you collect stuff, and sometimes you never know where you use it. But sometimes when you use it, it ends up being the most profitable, whether it's financially or most uh, profitable intrinsically uh, to the value of your life. That you go, damn, I'm glad I learned that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe, that, maybe that's the way we should approach life more. We should look at failures more like, well, you learned something, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and actually, it's very hard in the moment to know what this is doing for you. you know, <laughs> anything you, anything you're doing, the question is, especially with failures, you know, you might have a benchmark that you're trying to reach, and if you don't reach it, it turns out a lot of those those failures are serendipitous. They bring us to a good place, and you don't even realize that at the time. So, um, I think that's right. I think there's there's a lot of value in not not succeeding in whatever the typical sense is. Just as I use the word failure to describe going to these classes that were not ultimately useful. But I learned a lot about what I wasn't interested in so that I could make there more time go. for what I was. Yeah. yeah. I use the same thing when I'm dating. Like if, if someone says, no, I'm not interested, uh, great. I go, okay, I'm, I'm one no closer to a yes. I'm one mm -hmm. no closer to finding someone that, that uh, will like me, uh, which is probably impossible at this point. But the <laughs> same, the same, you know, in that aspect is what I learned in sales. Uh, if, if you're one more no, you're one more closer uh, to a yes. Mm -hmm. And so you're just, you're just basically, you know, a process of elimination. And so, yeah. You know, there's an old story with, uh, uh, and I think Tom Peters told this story, but uh, maybe it was Tony Robbins, but an IBM executive lost like, I can't remember what, it was like $10 million or $25 million on some big deal. I, I may have the number wrong. And he walked into, I think it was Tom Watson, uh, one of the old CEOs of IBM, and he says, yeah. he was a vice president, and he goes, hey, I'm going to tender my resignation. I just lost the company $25 million or something. And the CEO said to him, I'm sorry, I'm not going to accept it. We just spent $25 million teaching you a lesson, and uh, we just educated you. We're not going to fire you because we're not wasting our investment. So, yeah, you're staying with the company. And and that sort of mindset is really interesting. That's about what education costs in the United, in the United States <laughs> these days. So 25 mil sounds about right. Yeah, that's just one college education. And that's, right. that's, that's just getting the... The uh, basic degree. Um, what are some other things you want to tease out about the book that we haven't touched on? Uh, I, I think one thing that's interesting for me is um, this uh, this question of who you should collect around you for uh, for advice and mm -hmm. ideas. And I think what a lot of us do instinctively is we we have people around us with similar backgrounds, ideas, mm -hmm. similar training, especially in the workplace, but not even just in the workplace. And so we end up spending a lot of time 
with redundancy in our ideas. So we mm -hmm. overlap a lot with other people. And so what that means is you magnify your strengths, but you also magnify your weaknesses, which can get you stuck. Wow. So, you know, the best teams have three kinds of people in them. The person who constructs the team will find some people who agree and who see the world the same way, because that's good for harmony. But they'll also find people who are known as non-redundant. Mm -hmm. So that basically means, like a lot of the hedge funds do this, they'll go and send scouts to universities and they'll say, who's the smartest kid in the Russian literature class? Who's the smartest kid in French literature? Who's the mm -hmm. smartest kid in organic chemistry? Who's the smartest mathematician? We're gonna pluck all of these people who have completely non-overlapping backgrounds and knowledge, but they're all very talented. And so that's mm -hmm. very useful. And that's true for your personal life too. You should have people around you who are different from you who can give you advice. And then there are even going one step further, you know, Pixar does this. When they put together a team, they will find people who they call black sheep who aren't just non-redundant, but actively go against the grain. And some mm. of their Academy Awards came from films where there was someone brought in as the black sheep to say, you're all so focused on animation and the beauty of the picture. What about the storytelling? Let me tell you, we've got to spend 10 times more time and money on the storytelling because we're going to lose people. They're not going to care that the water looks like water and the fur looks like fur on the monsters if we can't grip them with the story. And so they bring in these people who are black sheep. So you need those people who are harmonious you need the people who are non-redundant, who are just different from everyone. And then you need some people who are actively kind of pushing back. And that's how you construct, I think, a good advice network. Yeah. Anytime I'm asking for advice, I'm usually looking for the contrarians or yeah. people that will tell me I'm wrong. And and I like those people sometimes. Mm -hmm. uh, Black sheep. They better have a good argument, though. And like you said, they, they, you know, those, those, uh, those, those companies pool the smartest people. So you better have a good, smart thing to come at me with. But I, I get, I, I hate it when, you know, I just get all the people who are like, yeah, you're right, Chris. Yeah, you're right, Chris. And it's <laughs> like, well, I'm narcissistic, so I know I'm right anyway. I, I want to I hear the other side. That's what I'm right. act actively searching for. A long time ago, you know, I think I covered this in my book, a, long, a lesson that I learned from one of my old CEOs back in the day. We had this one guy on the board who was just, everything was always wrong. Like, you know, he was the, he was the guy that whatever the idea was, he was against it. And, you know, he was negative Nancy, basically, in the room. And I, I went to my CEO and I, I, said, I said, dude, do we, what the hell is with that guy? Do we, why didn't you just kick him out? And he goes, Chris, last thing you ever want to do as a CEO is be surrounded by yes men. Mm -hmm. He goes, now that guy just kind of, and he wasn't one of those brilliant people you talked about, but he goes, he goes, when that guy's right, that guy that's the negative Nancy, when he's right, when he's on and all of us are playing yes, man, and that guy is right, he's going to save me millions of dollars. Yeah. And you need that guy and you don't have to listen to him all the time, but when he's on it, he's got it right. And, uh, that can make a difference in life or death of a business. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think these these people who are always naysaying, um, mm. they're tricky like that because you've got to figure out, yeah. is this the time when they're right or is this another <laughs> time when they're wrong? That's the tricky part. But what you've got to find is people who are well calibrated, who are in a particular area, they are contrarian. And so you know mm. they're going to come up with something that's a little bit different in this particular area and that's going to be useful because they are different in that way and you can trust that difference. You, I, I think these people who are just naysayers for the sake of it, they're complicated. Sometimes they can be hidden geniuses but you've got to you've got to know them well enough to be able to wade through the nonsense that's good advice or, or they're just <laughs> professional trolls we see that a lot in my youtube channel that. um but no it's i love it when someone will correct me and uh and they'll present an intelligent argument and i'll be like 
well, shit, I'm wrong. Okay. All right. I'll adjust my trajectory. Um, because I, that's the reason I share a lot of ideas is because I'm looking for somebody to go, oh, no, Chris, uh, you should, you know, go from this. But it's interesting how what you put in the book, you know, that perception is everything. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, and it makes all the difference. What else haven't we touched on in the book? Because uh, it's it's a great book on how you should approach this and, and of course, identifying the problem. And then uh, I think, you know, there's an empowerment, right? There's an empowerment they have with your model to use those four things to uh, feel empowered. And then that way you don't feel so frustrated and you get lost in the feelings. Yeah, I, well, I'll, I'll just uh, throw a few things into the mix. Um, I think one really useful thing that I found is there's a, there's a difference uh, between exploring and exploiting. So they, these are mm. evolutionary terms that describe how animals would roam the savanna, you know, whether they're humans or other animals. And the, the exploration phase is where you have this kind of very broad net. You say yes to everything. You know, opportunities come up. Think about, like, I, I remember this as a freshman in college. I'd say yes to everything. People would be like, do you want to try this club do you want to do this thing? Do you want to do that thing? It didn't really matter what it was. I would just say yes to everything. And I found that extremely rewarding. Um, yeah. And uh, so th that that's that exploration phase. And then there's the exploitation phase. Once you figure out what works for you, is you, you really drill into the thing that works for you and you make the most of that particular thing and you get narrow and you only say yes to the things that are specifically about that. Mm -hmm. And you say no to everything else. And that's that's an extremely valuable general approach. And they found that in careers, across the course of careers of artists, film writers, um, musicians, just pretty much, and business people as well, that your greatest hits will come after a period of exploration where you have a cast a wide net, followed by really drilling into the, that one thing that makes the most sense to you. And mm -hmm. that process of going broad, then narrow, and finding exactly what you like and, and exploiting it as much as possible seems to be a very valuable way in general of, uh, of turning up big hits in a career and, and periods known as hot streaks. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a valuable thing. That's a good way to get unstuck in general. Yeah, and in, in changing our mindset to, you know, how we think about problems and failures and everything else. Uh, you know, I just, I've been reading uh, Ryan Holiday's book, The Obstacle is the Way, which is based mm -hmm. somewhat in Stoicism. And, you know, how we approach our problems uh, makes all that difference in, in how we view them. And, you know, some people, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, and I probably still do it today, you know, you something happens, you're like, oh, God, oh, this again, oh, another problem, oh, God, yeah. I got to fix this mess. And a lot of times, the privilege of being able to fix that mess, you know, like as an entrepreneur, I would have to go, oh, God, this problem again, oh, God, this customer has this problem. And you're like, you know, it's kind of a privilege, actually, for me to have it. I remember my employees would come to me and they'd start making 10 or 20 grand a year and realize that taxes are quite expensive at that level. Right. And, and I'd be like, I'd be like, you have to understand you don't have a new problem. You have a privilege because of what you're earning now and you're, you are having to pay more taxes, but you're still earning more. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, I need to figure out how to lower my taxes. Well, there's ways to do that, but I mean, technically, Technically, you're in a privileged position, and uh, it's, you know it's not like don't kick it. I mean, you, if you quit your job to lower your taxes, it's probably dumb. But mm -hmm. I think there were some people that did. Right. Um, and so this is really important, I think, in in the uh, in the thing of it. Um, anything more you want to tease out on uh, at autonomy of a breakthrough? 
anatomy of a breakthrough. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Yeah, I, I guess the one last thing I'll say is, um, you know, all of this, all the strategizing is in the service of acting in some particular way. Mm -hmm. And so by far the most important thing is to actually take action. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talked about starting some interviews by having a video of the guest playing so you feel like you're sort of into the interview before it even begins. That's mm -hmm. a form of, of pre-action that, that gets you to the point where you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's incredibly valuable in general. And there's there are a lot of great examples of this. Mm -hmm. um, there's Jeff Tweedy, the, the front man from the band Wilco, who, who's also, also a writer, talks about this idea of waking up in the morning and feeling like, you know, I've been writing songs for decades. I've got nothing left. There's no more creativity to come out. And he feels felt like he'd hit a wall. And he talks about this idea that buried underneath all the bad ideas are the good ideas. You've kind of got to pour out the bad ones to make oh. way for the good ones, almost like it's a liquid. Mm -hmm. And so what he does is he he will say to himself, all right, I'm, let's say he's writing a song. He'll say, I'm going to write the very, I'm going to spend half an hour writing the worst song I can imagine. <laughs> Lower the bar mm -hmm. so it's at the floor. And anything that's in my head, I'm going to just pour out. I'm going to make it boring and trite and the melody is going to suck and it's going to be terrible. But what that does is it's because he's acting, he's by definition not stuck in those moments. Oh. And it propels him forward. So he spends half an hour being you know, writing this bad stuff that sometimes turns out better than he expects to make way for the rest of his writing period being successful. And it works because so much of being stuck is that difference between not doing anything and doing something. And so doing anything, even lowering the bar so your your threshold for what is a good enough action is very low is, a, is an extremely way, extremely effective way forward. And tell me if this is a good analogy, because I love that. When I when I was writing my book, uh, sometimes I would get stuck, uh, and and so I would just start writing whatever. Like I just start typing stuff. Sometimes yeah. it would be really stupid, like uh, "All work and, and no play makes Jack a dull boy," you know that sort of <laughs> insanity. Um, which is where I was at it in the editing part. Um, but uh, we've all been there, right? Um, yeah. And so, uh, but just just yeah, you know, like you say, just writing stuff, and it's almost. The one thing, even if you get done looking at it and you're like, this is complete and utter shit, um, there's a part of writing and, and mental acuity and a lot of these different things is almost like a leg or a ligament where you have to stretch it and you have to keep using it. It's like a muscle. You know, mm -hmm. comedy is the same way where if I, if I don't stay on a funny streak, I, I kind of feel disconnected and I lose it and I have trouble getting back on the horse. And so it's, it's almost like a ligament in your brain where you have to keep exercising that and keep functioning it. And just, just by keeping the, the gears moving or oiled, you know, you, you find your way back on the track. Yeah. And the last section of the book where I talk about action is called habit precisely mm -hmm. because it's about finding that place where every day you have a practice. And mm -hmm. I think again, that, that draws on this, idea from from ancient philosophy of of getting into a, a, a sort of rhythm that then propels you forward in action because if you have to make new decisions every day like today i'm going to do some work and it's going to be this kind of work that's going to overwhelm you you want to free up as many of your resources as you can to produce the right product and you do that by not having to make a fresh decision every day you've already made that decision this is my habit this is what i'm going to do and it's the same kind of process that absolves you of having to make fresh decisions every time Ah, and see, that's really important because I think where people get caught up with procrastination, like, you know, I'll, 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 I, I pretty much intermittent fast all day, but recently I've had to really do some long-term 20 hour, 24 hour fasting to do, 
to really break through insulin resistance. And you know, I don't want to do it. It's a pain in the ass, but I I've 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 didn't take care of my health early on. So now we have to play this catch up game. And and if you think about, oh God, today's the day we gotta do this. And then you start, you know, building resistance to it. Where if you just have the habit of doing it every day, like I don't think about the intermittent fasting I do every day. Um, I just do it. And I, it's, I've gotten in the habit where I'm really good at just doing it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, every now I'll cheat a little bit or break off or, you know, hey, a piece of cheese. Uh, cheese, uh, squirrel, um, <laughs> you know, ADHD. But I think, I think what you've mentioned there, the habit thing is really important. You know, I, even if I'm, you know, not writing about business, I'll write some stupid shit about something else I'm passionate about. And just yeah. keeping that ligament, if you will, that mental ligament, uh, I don't even know if ligament's the right word, but that keeping that going, I think is important. Yeah, 100%. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, that that's sort of the reason why the last thing in the book is, is I basically have a list f- drawn from the rest of the book, 100 Ways to Get Unstuck. And it's, it's just this series of algorithms that you can apply to your life and you can use over and over again so that it becomes, you know, getting unstuck becomes a matter of just following the script. And that mm-hmm. simplifies the whole process pretty dramatically, which was what the whole intention with the book was. You know, humans constantly stuck shouldn't have to rebuild the whole situation from scratch every time they're trying to get unstuck. And that's the theory. And people can wallow in being stuck for years. Mm-hmm. They can. I mean, decades maybe. I don't know, yeah. a lifetime, some people. That probably explains my life. Uh, your your book from 2017, Irresistible, The Rise of Addictive Technology and Business of Keeping Us Hooked. You, have you thought about updating that for TikTok? Because that, that thing is crack. Yeah, I mean, I started writing that book in 2013, 14, so a decade mm-hmm. ago, which wow. was it's a long time ago. This is before a lot of people were talking about the subject. And so a lot of the apps that people are using today, the platforms they're using didn't exist yet or were small fry at the time. So, you know, it's an interesting question. If the publisher invited me to, to update it, I might consider it. I am sort of moving on with other things now. I still talk a lot about the book, but uh, now I have the new one coming out. But you're right. I mean, it's the problem that I was discussing and identifying at the time is only <laughs> more acute now. I mean, TikTok is, is like crack. Uh, you get online, to you get to do the pat on the back there. I called it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because when I first came out with this, you know, I, I started telling people, hey, I've got this book. It's about the problems with uh, screen time. And at the beginning, people were like, what are you talking about? There's no, there's no this is great stuff. <laughs> this is just pure entertainment. There's nothing wrong with it. And then slowly we, we sort of culturally came around to the idea that it was a problem. Made my life much easier. I didn't have to convince people of that. And then I could talk about solutions. But um yeah, it's been it's been a hell of a ten years. Yeah, I mean, I I've been into social media since uh, it started and uh, with Twitter and et cetera, et cetera. And you know, I'm aware of a little bit of addiction. Of course, it, I run a businesses on it, but but that TikTok, that yeah. it's a whole new level of shit right there, man. Like I can I can go four hours on that thing. Yeah, I can wake up. I can go, I'm just going to flip a few before I go to bed and I can wake up in this or I can see the sun up and I go, fuck. <laughs> uh, they, very, they very effective. Down. Yeah, it's very effective. It still is. I, it, it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. Anyway, uh, anything more you want to tease out, Adam, before we go on the show or go out on the show or give us your dot coms? Uh, no, I don't think so. So uh, com is the email address. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn. They are the two places where I tend to post more often and uh yeah uh i really appreciate the chat it's been fun 
There you go. Thank you very much, Adam, for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for there having me. There you go. Uh, order it up, folks, wherever fine books are sold. Anatomy of a Breakthrough. How to Get Unstuck When It Matters Most. Available May 16th, 2023. So you can pre-order it now and be the first one in your book club to see your Reddit. Uh, check out all of our sites across social media to refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time.